my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to How They Love Mary, a weekly podcast that will be either the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. As we begin with our opening prayer today, I'd like to take us to the sanctuary of Our Lady of Lourdes in France and to pray one of the refrains that they sing in between each of the rosary mysteries of the sorrowful mysteries during their nightly rosary procession. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I thought it was appropriate to begin with that refrain, calling to mind the sorrowful mourning mother who stands by the crucified one, because we'll be very soon entering into Holy Week, in which we'll see the grief of Mary on abundant display. And that's what we'll talk about in the second segment of our show today, as we bring on guest Jeannie Ewing, who is a wonderful grief writer. She's written a lot of books on grief, and I thought it would be great if we could talk about Our Lady and the grief that she experienced and how that can help us in our own grief that we experience as well. But before we get to Jeannie Ewing, we of course have to talk about our trending Marian tweets and topics for the past week. Of course, as you know, Pope Francis released this document earlier in the week called Christus Vivit. It was his document, his postsynodal exhortation after the Youth Synod that happened in the month of October. In the very first episode of the show, we talked about his visit to Loretto, in which he entrusted the document to the intercession of the Blessed Virgin, and how he held up Mary as an example on the Annunciation as one who discerned and what she can teach us about our own discernment. It shouldn't be any surprise, but in this document on youth, our Holy Father Pope Francis dedicates a brief section to Mary, the young woman of Nazareth. As he writes to young people and proposes models for them, he reflects on the person of Jesus, of course, who was a young person. But then he goes into Mary, who was also very young at the time of the Annunciation, and how she accepted the message of the angel, how she wasn't afraid as the young Mary to give her yes wholeheartedly, unreservedly to Almighty God. She didn't know what that meant for her in the future. She didn't put any qualifications on it, but she said yes immediately. She was mission-oriented. One of the things that our Holy Father Pope Francis referred to Mary as was the influencer of God, a title of Mary that he has coined in recent months. 
When he was at World Youth Day in Panama back in late January or early February, Pope Francis did in fact reference this new title that he has coined, Influencer of God. It led somebody on Catholic Twitter, Catholic Pat, he asked someone to translate Influencer of God into Latin because it quickly became his favorite title of Mary. Father Alex Schrenk, though, was quick to point out that the Latin account for Pope Francis had already done so. Concit Atrix Dei. Concit Atrix Dei. So there you have it. There's Influencer of God in Latin. What Pope Francis says about the Blessed Virgin is that as a young woman, her heart was overflowed with joy. But very beautifully, he tells us that Mary is the mother who watches over us. We seek her in the silence of our hearts amidst all the noise now that we have in our world, that she watches over us, all people. And how does she watch over us except in her intercession for all of us, that she prays for us and is watching over us from her place in heaven. Another thing that caught my eye this week about the Blessed Virgin Mary, there's actually 10 different things I want to briefly address this week. A few weeks ago, I gave a homily on 10 reasons people don't go to confession. It was a pretty long homily by my standards. It went about uh, 13 minutes. I, I usually am about a six to seven minute preacher. And so when I say 10 things, I'm hoping not that they'll be long, but just to give a brief cursory overview. The second thing that caught my eye was Dr. Edward Sree's podcast, All Things Catholic, because he talked about the phrase, Behold Your Mother. That was the topic of his podcast this past week. He said this as I listened to it, and I said last week with Sister Bethany that Dr. Edward Sree, I believe, is one of the best and effective communicators and teachers of the faith in our modern world today. I stand by that. And this is what he said about the Blessed Mother. He said, if you want to explain her as spiritual mother, you must know the meaning of this. Behold your mother. He goes on to say that the beloved disciple represents all faithful disciples. And he encourages everyone to say a Hail Mary each day as a simple way for us to behold our mother. There is an article on Alethea this past week, number three, as it talked about the devotion of the green scapular. A few weeks ago, I referenced the fivefold scapular, the brown scapular, the blue scapular, the black scapular, the white scapular, and the red scapular combined as a fivefold scapular. There is another popular scapular called the green scapular. If you're familiar with the miraculous medal, that apparition of Our Lady to St. Catherine Labore in Rue de Bac in France, you'll also maybe not know this, but there was an apparition of Our Lady that happened afterwards, not to Catherine Labore, but to another sister in her community, in which this green scapular was revealed to the sister, and that God wished to impart many graces upon those who are devoted to it, who make use of it. Phil Kozlowski, in his article on Althea, references the green scapular as a, a tool for physical healing and spiritual healing. That oftentimes, if a person is sick, someone might put a green scapular by them and to pray for the grace of healing, or 
They might place the scapular in the room of someone who they wish will convert to the faith. There's another priest who is quite devoted to the green scapular. His name is Father Richard Heilman. He's a priest down in the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin, is the pastor of the parish in Pine Bluff. I spoke there back on February 2nd about the Blessed Mother. And on his Facebook page, he'll often share what he calls green scapular glory reports. And wouldn't you know that as Phil Kozlowski releases this article on the green scapular, he also posted about green scapular glory reports. He shared two of them that I saw that caught my eye. I'll share them real quickly. He says from a friend who wrote him, I snuck a green scapular under the mattress of a family member. He had not gone to confession or communion in seven years. Shortly after I put it under his mattress, he had a heart event. He went to confession right then and there. He ended up completely recovering and now receives communion regularly and goes to confession frequently. Praise God. Another person wrote, This is my glory report, the conversion of my dad. I sneaked into my parents' bedroom and put a green scapular under his side of the bed. I forgot the prayer that goes with the green scapular, so I instead prayed from the heart. A month or so later, my dad began to change demeanor and had a full-on conversion of heart. I really didn't expect anything, but just trusted that God's will would be done. I continue to pray for him now, and I need more green scapulars for the rest of my family. LOL. Thank you, Father. What a beautiful sense of devotion of placing these green scapulars. You hear this every now and again, people placing scapulars or miraculous medals or the St. Benedict medal. Sometimes they do this around abortion clinics. They'll plant those devotional so sacramentals. And it's the belief that God imparts grace. It's not superstitious because when it's done with a prayer, it isn't superstitious. It's grace-filled. As we talk about abortion, maybe you saw the movie Unplanned, which was a very beautiful retelling of the story of Abby Johnson, who wrote her own memoir a few a number of years ago now. I remember I read it back when I was in college seminary. Pretty much on the day that it was released, I acquired a copy, read it cover to cover. Kudos to Bishop Zubik. This is our fourth Marian tweet and topic that's trending. But Bishop Zubik, uh, who is the former bishop of the Diocese of Green Bay, who uh, during his time here in Green Bay, I had a great admiration of. I served as a, a altar server, a, what they call a pontifical server for, at the cathedral, and uh, Bishop Zubik was very influential in my own vocational discernment. I'm an only child. He's an only child. And so one time we did converse about what that was like, discerning priesthood as an only child. The Diocese of Pittsburgh tweeted about Bishop Zubik, saying that he led a rosary outside of Planned Parenthood. As people are becoming more zealously pro-life in the aftermath of the movie Unplanned, Maybe you'll want to join a local 40 Days for Life vigil or anytime see if there's a prayer vigil that's going to be happening outside of Planned Parenthood and to pray the rosary, really to entrust all those souls to Our Lady that she'll obtain the grace of conversion for those contemplating abortion. The fifth trending Marian topic that I saw this week comes from Church Pop. I saw it on their Instagram. They gave five tips for praying the rosary daily. This is what Church Pop said. Number one. Pray it at the same time or during the same task. So to have a routine, if you pray it while you're driving, if you pray it while you're walking, to pray it at the same time each day. Secondly, break it up into parts. So maybe 
Uh, you can pray a decade here, a decade there. And so just to pray a decade every a few hours whenever you are able. Third, have a special intention. Sometimes people will actually pray a special intention on each bead of the rosary. That's what Gus Lloyd does often on his show, Seize the Day, on Sirius XM's The Catholic Channel. But others will pray also maybe a prayer of gratitude on each bead of the Hail Mary. So really, using the rosary as a prayer of intercession. If you don't want to do every bead, maybe dedicate each decade to a particular intention. I wrote an article back on Catholic Exchange uh, a few months ago, I think probably during the month of October, just with different intentions that we could offer as we pray the rosary. The fourth rosary tip that Church Pop offered was to have a rosary buddy. So to have a friend that you pray the rosary with, maybe you do it daily, maybe you do it every once a week, or just to have someone, maybe your family, whoever it is, pray the rosary with someone else. I always like that idea because St. Louis de Montfort says that when you pray the rosary with others, you gain the graces of however many rosaries being prayed. If you're praying with three people, that's the graces of three rosaries. If you're praying with a hundred people, the graces of a hundred rosaries. Lastly, the fifth tip that Church Pop offered was to have a rosary within arm's reach. So, of course, a lady might keep a rosary in their purse. A man might keep one in their pocket. Keep one on your desk or somewhere near your bed. To have the rosary nearby will be a reminder to pray it each and every day. The sixth trending Marian tweet or topic that I saw came from Twitter. It was from Brother Damien Joseph, his handle Damien Rapun, R-A-P-P-U-H-N. He asked if Mary was an INFP, that they were discussing this within his religious community. And then they went a little further and they said, is she the perfect ideal of INFP? Now that comes from the Myers-Briggs and I'm not very good with all that stuff and I had to Google it. I came up with this from a website personality page, introverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. INFPs are highly intuitive about people. Maybe you could say Mary's intuitive about people as she sees the needs of the world as she prays for them. Generally thoughtful and considerate. They are good listeners and put people at ease. Well, isn't that what people do when they ask Mary's intercession? She puts them at ease. They bring their worries, their cares, their concerns to her intercession. They are flexible and laid back until one of their values is violated. Mary comes to La Salette and talks about using God's name in vain and not honoring the Sabbath. That's a violation of the value of the of the Old Testament of uh, the Ten Commandments. And so Mary comes and she gives a message. So maybe, maybe there is something to this. Is Mary an INFP? What do you think? Father Harrison of Clerically Speaking, that podcast, he tweeted about the perpetual virginity of Mary. This is our seventh trending Marian tweet of the week. He said this, that the perpetual virginity of Mary has been defended by the fathers, that it's not only a topic of Christology, but also of anthropology. I often say that the perpetual virginity of Mary is a very neglected Marian dogma. It's often forgotten. It, that's in part, I think, because there's not a liturgical feast. We have the Feast of Mary, Mother of God on January 1st. We have the Feast of the Assumption on August 15th. We have the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th. And so with all the feasts for the Marian dogmas, the perpetual virginity of Mary doesn't have one. 
And I think that's why it's one of the forgotten Marian dogmas. I'll never forget watching Bishop Barron's Catholicism series, his episode on Mary, and that's the one Marian dogma he didn't talk about. So I do think it's neglected. I appreciate Father Harrison tweeting out about it. It's also one of the most misunderstood Marian dogmas as we talk about the perpetual virginity of Mary before, during, and after the birth of Christ. Too much to talk about in a short time. Be the subject of a future episode of How They Love Mary. Number eight, we have Hallie Carrots, uh, who many of you know as Hallie Stewart. She uh, just wrote that book, The Grace of Enough. She wrote a beautiful meditation on the Stations of the Cross, especially in light of losing a child. She shared really the passion of some friends of hers as they underwent their own grief, their own mourning. She really related it to the Blessed Mother as she mourned the death of her son and all of that which it entailed. I encourage you to check out Haley Stewart's uh, reflection on the Stations of the Cross. Number nine, Archbishop Wilton Gregory was appointed the Archbishop of Washington, D.C. During his press conference and tweeted by the USCCB, he said this, May Our Lady, untire of knots, guide and protect us. Seems like he's placing his episcopate there in the Washington, D.C. Archdiocese under the intercession of Our Lady under her maternal protection. This devotion to Our Lady on Tire of Knots, many of you know, comes from Pope Francis's personal devotion to the Blessed Virgin. He really promoted it once he became the Holy Father. Uh, that image has grown. That novena has been popularized. And it all stemmed from this couple to undo the knots of all the things that were troubling their marriage. It's a prayer that I've prayed in my own life. There was a time I was in desperate need, and I asked Our Lady Untire of Knots to untie that knot, and she did it within hours. So I think it's a very powerful devotion. As Archbishop William Gregory goes into Washington, D.C., he's going to have to deal with the fallout from the clergy abuse scandal, the McCarrick case, and all of this stuff. And there are lots of knots that are there, lots of healing that is needed. And so Our Lady will be the mediatrix of that grace of healing especially under this title of Undoer of Knots. Our 10th trending Marian topic of the week, statues being beheaded in California of Our Lady of Fatima and Our Lady of Lourdes. This is not an isolated thing. It's happening all over the world that statues of Our Lady, statues of the saints are being desecrated, that people who are anti-Catholic, they're demolishing them. They don't even want them to be out there in the public. This is really something Our Lady of Fatima spoke about. When Our Lady asked for the Five for Saturday, she asked for reparation to be done for the desecration, for the irreverence paid to the images of the Blessed Virgin. Of course, those statues are reminders of Mary's prayers, Mary's protection of us. We don't pray to the statue. We don't revere the statue as God, but really it's a reminder, a holy reminder of our Catholic faith. There's so much that one could talk about during this uh, segment of Trending Marian Tweets and Topics. Those are 10 things that caught my eye this past week about the Blessed Mother. Maybe if you see something during the week about the Blessed Mother, be sure to tag me in a post, tweet at me, share it with me, and it might make it on the show. It helps us to know a little bit more about the Blessed Mother, to see how people are talking about her, how they are reflecting about her, to see the richness of the love of the Mother of God in our Catholic tradition. We'll take a little pause here and listen to some music from Ananuzo, 
And then we'll hear from Jeannie Ewing when we come back as she shares with us about devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows and the grief of the Blessed Mother. I'm so happy to have Jeannie Ewing on our show today. She is a Catholic spirituality writer. Maybe you've seen some of the things she's written online, especially at Catholic Exchange. She also has written a lot about grief and redemptive suffering. A lot of different books she has out there. Her latest book is with Tan Books called Parenting with the Beatitudes. And uh, given her grief background, I thought we'd talk a little bit about Lent and Mary's grief. But also, I had the chance to review Parenting with the Beatitudes and happy to discuss that with her as well. So welcome to the show, Ginny Ewing. Thanks, Father Edward. You've just written this new book, Parenting with the Beatitudes. And of course, you're a mother, you're a wife. And so maybe can you just share a little bit about your family background and how many children you have and perhaps what inspired you to write this book, Parenting with the Beatitudes? Well, uh, my husband and I have been married, oh shoot, it's been almost 12 years. And uh, we have four children. Felicity's age eight, and I homeschool her and she's getting ready for her first Holy Communion in like a month. And then Sarah, our middle daughter, she just turned six last month. And she was the one born with a rare disease, and she has lots and lots of specialists and lots and lots of complex issues with her development and her cognition and emotional development, all that stuff. <clears throat> lots of surgeries. Um, I've written about that a lot, so I won't go into more and more detail about it. But she has been kind of my inspiration, I would say kind of the catalyst that brought me into the public sphere of writing, so sharing publicly what I've been writing about or just kind of reflecting about for a long time. And then we have Veronica. She's almost two. And then Joseph, he is about two and a half months old. Well, congratulations on the birth of uh, of Joseph. And have you already had him baptized? We are having him baptized soon. Actually, Anna Nuzo and her husband are going to be the godparents. So we oh. had to wait until May when they could come. So. Sure. Well, how beautiful. Yep. Yep. Yes. So, um, yes, thank you. We are excited, too, because we have three girls and a little boy, and um, that's kind of, I guess that's something I said that I, I wanted when we had Felicity as a baby, and I don't remember saying that, but one of my really good friends told me when she gave me a baby blanket for Joey, she said, don't you remember you told me you wanted four children, three girls, and a boy? I said, I don't remember that at all, but I guess, you know, God is good. He heard what I, what I asked for, so... Um, yes, we are blessed. So anyway, as a mom, I would say, mother. first of all, motherhood does not come naturally to me. I am the oldest of two in my family, my, and I have a younger brother. I didn't have to share anything. 
I didn't have to share toys, clothes, a bedroom, really not even attention because we're total opposites. And so I, and I never grew up around babies because my mother's an only child and my dad is the youngest in his family by like 14 years. So there's a big gap between him and his three older siblings. Um, I was not interested in children. So it's just, it, this is, it's hard for me. Navigating motherhood is very hard for me. And this is going to kind of seg into probably the next part that you want to talk about concerning the Blessed Mother and grieving. But in terms of being a mom, I just felt inspired after I attended my first um, Catholic Marketing Network conference about almost three years ago. I came home from that and I just had this inspiration to write about the journey of what it's like as a mom. And then my husband writes about what it's like as a dad through the eyes of, or through the inspiration and the, um, the gift, I guess you could say of the Beatitudes, because obviously everybody knows the Beatitudes. They're very popular. People love them. And to my knowledge at that point, nobody had really reflected on how we can apply the Beatitudes to our journey as mom and dad. And so that's part of the reason why Ben and I decided to also include how the Blessed Mother lived out each beatitude and how St. Joseph lived out each beatitude. So um, like meekness, for example, that's not, that's not in my nature either. And that's something I always equated with the Blessed Mother. She was always a figure as a cradle Catholic who was very hard for me to relate to because I was a very boisterous child, very opinionated, feisty, um, very choleric if for people listening who speak temperaments. And so, you know, growing up and learning about her, I admired her, but from a distance, I knew she was my spiritual mother, but I didn't really get that and what that meant. And I didn't have a very intimate relationship with her because she seemed so opposite of who I am as a person. And I almost felt kind of ashamed when I would pray the Hail Mary. And I would kind of think about this very pious, perfect, gentle, quiet, meek woman. And I thought, well, I'm not like that. Maybe I should be like that. And I don't know how to be different than who I am. And so it wasn't really until uh, this book was kind of in the process of being written. I was speaking about this very same thing with one of my friends who's also a Catholic writer. And she said, you know, Jeannie, the Blessed Mother uh, perfected every virtue. So all the virtues that you have and all the gifts that you have, she had them too. She just had them perfectly. And that was for some reason kind of like, it, it really changed everything. It was a turning point in my relationship with her. I realized that I could relate to the Blessed Mother and that everybody can. And particularly as a mother, I felt, you know, I really need to develop my devotion to Our Lady because, for, well, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, the first and obvious reason would be she is the most powerful intercessor we have. And another reason is that I have always had kind of a tumultuous relationship with my biological mom. She and I have gone through seasons where we've been very close and um, then seasons where we're not. But overall, it's not been a very stable, steady relationship. And as, as I've become a mother and she's become a grandmother, I've seen some of, some of those um, differences in a painful way meaning that I've looked at kind of the trajectory of my life since I was that little girl who couldn't relate to the Blessed Mother. And I think a lot of my um, maybe early childhood wounds kind of came from the um, inadvertent, subtle, subliminal messages from my own mother. There was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt because I was told, well, you're too opinionated or you're too bossy or you better not speak up. You're not going to have any friends if you say things like that. And so 
um, the Blessed Mother was has been, I should say, because it's not obviously not done yet. She has been such a healing presence person in my life because I have a relationship with her that I can't have with my mom. And in turn, I really believe the Blessed Mother has opened my heart so that I have more compassion for my own mom. And I've looked at her differently as an adult, especially since I've become a mother. She, um, I look at her own wounds is what I'm saying. And the Blessed Mother has helped me do that. And so instead of um, feeling like I've been this victim or that my mom, you know, wounded me or scarred me for life, which I don't believe that. I believe as a parent, we do the best we can with what we have. And I've never blamed my parents for anything because they're amazing people. But we all are flawed. and We all have brokenness. And I, I look, I've looked at my own mom through that lens of compassion, of mercy, because of my relationship with Our Lady. And so I can see that my mother was an only child. Her mom was sick. Uh, my grandma, I never met her, but she died when my mom was 12. She had type 1 diabetes, and she was in and out of the hospital all the time. My mother remembers coming home from school, and there would be an ambulance in the driveway, or she'd have to go to a neighbor's house unexpectedly. After my grandmother died, um, my grandpa became an alcoholic, and he moved himself and my mom in with his parents. And fortunately, my mom had some stability with her grandparents. But at the same time, she would go to bed at night and she could hear my grandpa and my great-grandma arguing and screaming and throwing things at each other. Likely, we both believe, because he was coming home from a night out drinking and it was too late and he had to go to work the next day, etc. So I'm looking at, at my mom and who she is now and I'm thinking, wow, I admire her actually for how much she's overcome and the person that she is now. And I'm able to love her in a way I feel I never would have been able to love her were it not for my relationship with Our Lady. So the Blessed Mother, her presence and her love for us is so profound and so healing that she was really, I believe, kind of guiding my thoughts and my heart, really. She's more of the heart, and I think the Holy Spirit was more in my intellect when I was writing this book with Ben, Parenting with the Beatitudes. What a beautiful experience. And, you know, I can kind of relate to that a lot in your story. In fact, my mother was very diabetic, and so she died at 51. She had several amputations. She was in and out of hospitals for weeks at a time with infections and things like that. And sometimes I say, you know what, God calling her home to eternal life, maybe that was a blessing. That was a grace for her because she didn't have to have her leg amputated and and all of those things that her future would have fold. She would not have been a good amputee. And my mm. own mother, too, she uh, – when I was growing up, my – Grandmother really was my primary caregiver. My mother was working two jobs. She would be out late or, you know, whatever it is. She probably wasn't the paragon mother. She wasn't the model mother. And uh, so I've often thought that maybe my devotion to Mary kind of compensated for the lack of mm. maternal affection that I yeah. faced in my own life. And so so you're right. It is this healing uh, relationship that Mary can give us. And, you know, there's authors like Marge Fenland who wrote Forgiving Mother, which is a very powerful book about how through Mary's intercession, she forgave her own mother for abuse and neglect and abandonment. So, mm. So you're right on there. As you That's beautiful. As you talk about the Beatitudes, of course, one of the Beatitudes is blessed are those who mourn, for they, yes. for they will be comforted. 
And mm-hmm. uh, of course, as we're in this Lenten season, as we're preparing for Holy Week, as we're looking to Good Friday, and then ultimately the joy of Easter Sunday, we realize that Mary walked along with Christ on the way to the cross, on the way to Calvary. We we have that in one of the in the, one of the stations of the cross, the fourth station. Jesus meets his mother. At the end, Mary holds his mother in her in her arms, and so she's there and is really participating in this uh, passion of Jesus herself. And I guess uh, thinking about blessed are those who mourn. Well, how was Mary blessed in those moments of mourning? How was she comforted, or? Uh, how? What can we make of her own grief during this time of Christ's passion? Yeah, um, I think as I learn more about, I guess, Mariology, and you you know more than I, but I've learned some from like Saint Alphonsus Liguori and um, some other Marian saints who, that have kind of enlightened me to, to understand that pretty much from the moment that the Blessed Mother received that prophecy from Simeon that you yourself a sword shall pierce, from that moment, she had this um, mingling of sorrow with joy. So everything she experienced as a mom from that point on, all, you know, all of the things that we as mothers delight in, she also had this um, sorrow in the back of her heart because she knew what was going to happen. And so um, I think that as a mother, so now, you know, it's the first part I was talking about how she's helped me to see my mother more compassionately and love her in a new way. But then when we, when Ben and I had Sarah six years ago, um, I was very angry at God at first because I had no idea that Sarah was born with this very complex craniofacial condition that would reco- require dozens of surgeries throughout her life, especially on her skull and her face and her hands and feet. And yet, um, turning to the Blessed Mother, especially Our Lady of Sorrows, I realized there's really nothing that I experience as a mom that she doesn't already know so profoundly and so deeply because her heart is so entwined with Jesus's. And so everything he suffered, she did too, only mystically. And to me, that has been so humbling as a mom because I think of that journey that she took from when Jesus was a baby all the way through um, being with him and waiting for him at the tomb on Holy Saturday. I've thought in terms of like meditating on what would this be like as a mom and thinking about how she um, met him face to face and that, that um, like daggers in the heart, but daggers of love. So it's hard to explain, Father Edward, but I kind of write about this in From Grief to Grace. It's kind of like this mystical wound, this wound of the heart. And I think the Blessed Mother epitomizes this, obviously, because she's perfect. But if we're talking about grief specifically, it's consoling in the sense that she understands how suffering can be transformed into love because she personified that. And so every time that I'm just worried about my kids or I wonder, oh, my gosh, are they going to be lost like some of these other people I know their kids were um, ideal students, and they um, were really strong in youth group and really faithful, and then all of a sudden something happened to them, some trauma or tragedy, and then they go down this path of destruction. And sometimes I think about that with my own children. I just worry about that. I don't want them to go through some of the things that people have shared with me since I'm a grief writer. 
And yet, when I bring it to Our Lady in prayer, and particularly when I, I call upon her under the title of Our Lady of Sorrows, she really um, gives me that peace. I don't have to know the answers as a mom. I just know that she's with me in the journey. And so I think that whoever's listening to this, especially the, the moms who are suffering right now because their kids are lost, maybe they left the church or maybe um, they're struggling with addiction or mental illness or um, they just don't have the right attitude about their lives or negative. I just want to encourage people that she is such a consolation. The Blessed Mother, I've actually compared her to like this oasis in the desert because sometimes I feel that way. I feel like I'm in the desert as a mom. I'm kind of just walking for miles and miles and I can't see anything ahead of me and it's arid and sometimes my spirituality is arid as a mom and I feel like I'm going through the motions but I don't really know if I'm doing anything right and then here I come upon this this um, body of water so to speak to use this metaphor right and and it's her it's the blessed mother she's what I've been longing for what I need she quenches my the, everything that's parched in me and so um, there's just a beautiful I think depth that we can gain, especially during Lent and as we approach Holy Week, if we really sit with her and meditate on the seven sorrows of Mary, it's very powerful, very powerful, because I found the first time I did this, I actually had um, images in my imagination of myself with the Blessed Mother and seeing and experiencing as, as in my journey as a mother with her there with me. And it was just a very powerful and a very healing experience. When we think of blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. I can't help but think that so many people along the way comforted Mary, that she had Mary Magdalene and Mary of Clopas on her side. She had John the Beloved and how they came together as a community, really, of believers to support one another as they went through this, as they suffered with Christ, as they saw him crucified, died, and taken down from the cross. You talk a lot about Our Lady of Sorrows, and there are seven sorrows of Mary. There's the seven sorrows rosary uh, that, that's real popular. Um, but how can we develop a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows? Or uh, maybe even could you explain a, a background a little bit about Our Lady of Sorrows? Honestly, Father Edward, I didn't really have a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows specifically until about a year ago. And the reason I even kind of invoked her under that title and actually meditated on the seven sorrows was that I had been listening to a talk by Father Ripperger, an exorcist. He's, I think, you know, he's pretty well known. Um, he had a talk that I was listening to on YouTube about the healing of spiritual and psychological wounds. So that, you know, piqued my interest for a couple of reasons. One, because I am a grief writer and I do journey with a lot of people through their own suffering. And also, you know, with my own wounds to try to understand myself and to try to, to grow spiritually. Well, he talks all the time about Our Lady of Sorrows and how important it is to develop a devotion to her. And he explained that um, when we invoke the Blessed Mother under specific titles, we receive specific graces that pertain to that title. And so he said, because of the, the prophecy of Simeon, the graces we receive when we invoke Our Lady of Sorrows is that she will reveal what is hidden in our hearts. So the things we don't understand about ourselves, or if there's something that needs to be healed within us, but it's so deeply entrenched that we can't recognize it, we can't see ourselves honestly. And this could be anything from a wound, like he was talking about, or it could be our primary defect. 
It could be, why am I always confessing anger when I go to confession? Or why, why can't I overcome this particular vice? Well, Our Lady of Sorrow specifically opens uh, the eyes of our heart, so to speak, to see ourselves honestly and clearly, and thus to be able to grow in a way that we wouldn't be able to do without that particular grace under her, that title, if that makes sense. So that's why I started praying to her as Our Lady of Sorrows. And I just started with a prayer card that somebody had given me probably years ago. I have this um, tiny little chest in my bedroom that I keep all these holy cards and blessed medals and blessed rosaries and scapulars and I have novenas and things. I just kind of fished it out because I didn't know where to start. And I just, that's where I started. I just began with um, reading the each uh, of the seven sorrows and then meditating on each one and um, with the intention of asking her to open my heart and to reveal what was hidden that I need to know that God wants me to know at this time about myself. And then I just did this day after day after day. And what's funny is I remembered in the talk that Father Ripperger said, if you, if you do this, she will answer your prayer within two weeks. And I'm like, what? Where is he coming up with that? That sounds a little hokey. And I kind of forgot about it. But then I think it was about 10 days after I started praying to her. So this wasn't like a superstitious thing, like, oh, I know she's going to answer, you know, she's going to show me some big profound thing about my life within two weeks. It wasn't like that. It was like I heard it. And I thought it was a little hokey, and then I forgot about it. And instead, I was really trying to enter into this relationship with her under that title. And I remember it was about 10 days into this when I had been talking with a friend who then was, um, I believe, had some sort of spiritual insight from the Holy Spirit because what she told me about myself was something I'd never seen about myself before. And it wasn't, it was like, it had to do with my primary defect. And when she was talking to me about this, it was so loving. It was almost like, I think maybe the blessed mother was accompanying her to say this because, you know, when you're, you're, most of us don't go around and point out people's defects because that's kind of a delicate thing and it's not very charitable necessarily, but the way the conversation happened, it was very natural. Um, And I think my heart had been opened at that point and I was, I was ready to receive what, she was telling me. Well, after we had this conversation, I was so profoundly moved, um, almost like what I would imagine when St. Paul was like jolted off of his horse. It was like that within my soul. I was kind of like, whoa, I really need to look at this. And I was writing things down furiously because I just felt like it was a very inspired moment. And the next morning I went and I started my, my routine with my daily prayers and I entered into that that sacred space with Our Lady of Sorrows. And it was almost like she kind of indirectly told me, spoke to my heart, that that was her intercession and that was her way of answering what I had been asking for. And since that time, it's just kind of like a gentle nudge now and then um, when I need to kind of clean up and do some um, house cleaning in my soul. When I prepare myself for confession, um, she just, she's always been there. And There have been people who have told me, well, I really think that in this moment of your life, the Blessed Mother was with you, or I got this really strong feeling when we were talking that it was Our Lady that was helping you understand this or helping our conversation, guiding our conversation. So I think that we need to remember that no matter where we start, so you and I are talking about blessed are they who mourn and how do we grieve with the Blessed Mother, Um, no matter where we start in terms of what 
title of the Blessed Mother really draws us to her. I think we have to just go with that, whether it's Our Lady of Sorrows or whether it's Our Lady of Lourdes or, I mean, you could go through like, you know, the Litany of Loretto and just whatever draws you, whatever devotion, there's probably a reason for that because there's a particular grace that she knows you need. And from that point, it's almost like this domino effect. It's like the floodgates just open and there are so many beautiful things that she does that we're not even aware of from that point on. So I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but I think that Our Lady of Sorrows specifically to me, she has just been um, the mother who has said, okay, here's where you need to work on yourself. Here's where you need to be humbled. And here's how I'm going to help you do it. As a mom or sometimes just as a person, as a friend, she's been that for me. She's really been a companion to you. And do you have any, like, image of Our Lady of Sorrows in your house as a reminder of this, like a, a picture or a pieta, a little statue or anything like that? It's funny you should say that. I don't have an actual statue or something, but I was walking my daughter, Felicity, into um, – we have, like, a kids' youth group at our parish. So she's in, like, the second, third, fourth grade girls' class. And for some reason, I'd never noticed this before. There's this huge life-size statue of Our Lady of Sorrows there. And so when I dropped her off, I just found myself coming back to that statue and just kind of sitting there for a moment and just kind of talking to her, mother to child, child to mother. And I, I find myself going back to her every time we're there at church, whether it's for mass or whether it's for some kind of event that we're having. And actually, I took a picture of her of the statue and I have it on my phone. So I haven't yet actually printed it or, or framed it or anything like that and put it in my house. But again, that's just, these are just these little consolations, I believe that she is giving us and offering to us. But I think we just have to be receptive and we have to be aware of the subtle nuances because that's how, that's how she works and that's how God works. They don't necessarily um, do these very dramatic healings or, um, insights or something like that. But it's just like that quiet presence that they want us to know that they're there, that they're with us. And so I feel like that's what she was doing. Like, hey, I'm here and I'm I'm listening to you and I'm with you and I'm journeying with you. So. How beautiful. You know, one of my parishioners gave me an image of Our Lady of Sorrows. Now, you know, I'm sure there's lots of different images of Our Lady of Sorrows and some of them probably aren't really. And maybe the one that I have is like that. But as I think of Our Lady of Sorrows, of course, you have the the statues or the paintings of Our Lady with several swords, the seven swords mm -hmm. um, of the sorrows that the church has identified that Simeon says a sword would pierce her heart. I'd also say that the Pieta of Michelangelo is an image of Our Lady of Sorrows as the mourning mother. But the image this parishioner gave me was one that she had found at another church they are going to get rid of. And because she knew that I had a devotion to Mary, she asked me if I would like it or could do something with it. And so I took it and I put it up in my room as a reminder of Our Lady. And so as Our Lady, she has a, a very small teardrop that's coming down from her yeah. eye. And she's holding the nails and she has the crown in her hands as well. And so 
Uh, that's the one that's at our church. Oh, oh, wow. How beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so I yep. just described yep. it. I'll have to send you a picture after this and see if it's the same <laughs> exact one. But it was a very striking image that made me think of Our Lady in those moments at the crucifixion and the crucifixion thinking of my own sins and and uh, yes. and all of that. So there's so much there in that devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. And I would imagine if somebody is grieving right now, there's probably lots of people, of course, who have lost a loved one, whether it's a parent, a child, a grandparent, a friend, whoever it is, that maybe this devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows might be able to bring them some sort of comfort uh, as they go through, as they grieve, as they mourn the loss of their loved one. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's... Yes, Absolutely. Well, that's so great that we were able to talk about this, especially as Holy Week is coming up. And what I'd like to ask you now is just a few questions to establish your Marian profile. And so to really, uh, really, this Marian profile is just to help people realize, as the podcast is called How They Love Mary, just to see all the different titles, all the different devotions. Everything is different. No person's Marian devotion is the same. So what is your... This might be a, a difficult question since we just dedicated a whole podcast to Our Lady of Sorrows. <laughs> but what is your favorite title of Mary? Actually, I really like um, Mystical Rose. That's my favorite title of her. Oh. But I don't. I wouldn't say that I actually like pray to her under that title. But um, roses have been, I guess you could say, a natural symbol of God's presence and the Blessed Mother's presence in my life. So I often think, too, about um, Our Lady of Guadalupe and the roses in winter. Oh, yeah. Because winter, to me, kind of symbolizes that desolation of the heart that we go through when we're grieving or mourning. And the rose is that hope, that fragrant, um, vibrant, colorful, beautiful, delicate, tender um, hope that we have in her. So... I know you've been to Milwaukee a few times to see our mutual friend Anna Nuzo, and I don't know if you've ever made it up to Holy Hill or not, the Shrine of Our Lady Help of Christians. Uh, it's run by the Carmelites. It's a b- very beautiful shrine to Our Lady, uh, a very beautiful, magnificent building as well. But they have a St. Therese Chapel, and as you talk about Our Lady and Roses, it just made me be reminded of Uh, This window they have of Holy Hill is in the distance, and there is St. Therese with all her roses because she was going to shower roses upon the earth, and then Mary is Mm -hmm. holding all these roses. And so uh, whenever I think of roses, I I always think of that window and the joint joint task of Mary and St. Therese in that window. Mm -hmm. How about a a Marian sacramental? Do you wear a scapular? Do you... Miraculous medal or any other sacramental, I guess, of the Blessed Mother that is important to you? I do. Um, my husband, this was probably almost 10 years ago, he purchased for me a, it's almost kind of like a locket. It's a miraculous medal, but on the, the cover of it, it kind of slides open, is a, a pink rose. And um, I wear it every day. I don't think I've ever taken it off except for when I go to sleep at night. And otherwise, it's pretty much the only piece of jewelry besides my wedding ring that is always, always on me. So, so the common thing between your two answers already, the rose. So, yes, <laughs> mystical rose. I realized rose. that when I was saying that. Yes. How about a favorite Marian prayer? The Menorare. 
Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. how about the rosary? You know, lots of people pray the rosary. Sometimes people say, I don't really get much out of it, so maybe they stop praying the rosary. Do you have any tips that help you to pray the rosary that might help listeners? <laughs> That's a good one, because when we pray the rosary, it's usually with a bunch of small children who are wiggling and nudging each other. So talk about distractions. Um, I think I try to pray at least part of my rosary every day by myself, whether that's when I'm going to bed at night or when I take my dog for a walk at the park. Sometimes when I'm driving by myself, if I'm going to adoration or if I'm dropping off a kid at like um, religious ed or youth group or something. Otherwise, um, it, is, it is distracting when you have a million things going through your mind, and it's hard to quiet the mind, especially when we're so busy running around. I think what's helpful is just to acknowledge that the distractions will be there and to just keep giving them over to the Blessed Mother. Like, don't worry so much about them because then you're going to make the distraction worse. It's going to be more exaggerated, and it's going to cause you anxiety. And the rosary is supposed to um, give us peace. And so that's just kind of what I do. It's a discipline for sure, but it's natural. It's normal for your mind to wander. Oh, my gosh, I forgot this such and such on my list while you're praying, you know, maybe the fourth sorrowful mystery with your kids or something. But that's okay. Just keep coming back. Keep coming back to where you want to be in the present moment with her. The scriptures record many different events of the life of Mary in the Gospels. Many of the prophets kind of foretell the Virgin, or a lot of the prophetic writings can be applied to Mary. Do you have a favorite Marian Bible passage or verse or words of Mary? Oh, for sure, the the Magnificat, for sure. Okay. How, how about a favorite Marian apparition? Hmm, that's a good one. That would probably be Our Lady of Lourdes. Um, I grew up with, my mother has always had a very strong devotion to St. Bernadette and Our Lady of Lourdes. So I grew up with that. Um, I grew up learning about the story. As a a little girl, I heard about St. Bernadette, and um, I was very much enthralled with the healing aspect of Lourdes. I've never been there. I would love to go. You'll have to go with um, me sometime. I would love that. That would be so amazing. And in fact, my oldest daughter, Felicity, this was just accidental. This was not intentional. As as I've kind of, um, you know, built the foundation from when she was young for her religious education, because I homeschool her, uh, you know, we would just talk about different Marian apparitions or different Marian titles or different saints. And she was immediately, I would say from the age of three, immediately drawn to Our Lady of Lourdes, and to St. Bernadette. And to this day, she says St. Bernadette is one of her favorite saints. So there's just, I think that um, there's an affinity, maybe perhaps in my family, maybe it's a generational gift. Maybe the Blessed Mother is trying to tell us, you know, as Our Lady of Lourdes, that, that she is bringing that spiritual healing to the generations. Of course, not only do we have Marian apparition sites that are shrines that people go and pray at, but there are other devotional shrines of Mary throughout the country and the world. Is there a Marian shrine that you've been to that made an impression on you? Have you been to Cary, Ohio? I have not. It is definitely on my list of places I want to go, Our Lady of Consolation. Yes. People tell yes. me all yes. the time about how beautiful that place is. Yes. So I've been there twice. Um, the first time was when I was in high school. I was a, like an older teenager with my whole family. And 
I remember there was some special event. So we were like all, like all these people were kind of gathering in our, our blankets and our lawn chairs on the front lawn, which was kind of hilly in front of the church. And I remember telling my mom, what are we doing? What are we waiting for? And then there were like all these flashing lights. And I kept telling her, why are people taking pictures? Why is there flash on their cameras? And my mom's like, actually, I don't think that's a camera. I think that's maybe the presence of the Blessed Mother. And so we were looking around, and we couldn't see one person with a camera, but there were all of these. It was almost like what you would see with a flash for a camera, and it was all over these bright lights. And then the second time I went was with some friends when I was actually pregnant with Sarah, and this was before we knew of her diagnosis. But see, this is, again, how God works and how the Blessed Mother's love for us is. Um, we had traveled, Ben and I had traveled with our friends, to, and they are also very Marian in their spirituality, they're converts from the Mennonite faith, which is huge because they come from generations of Mennonite. And it was because of the Holy Rosary that they actually became Catholic. That's a digression. But we went with them to, to um, Cary, Ohio for Our Lady of Consolation. And there was a, I guess when we got there, we didn't, I don't know if we knew this or not, I don't remember, but there was a healing mass. And so we all just went up and got a blessing from this priest. And I don't think he was, assigned to that parish i think he was like visiting for this specific event and we had decided the four of us had decided to go camping in a nearby campground for the weekend so we had gone to this healing mass and when um the priest prayed over me as soon as he um did the sign of the cross on my forehead i felt this um i hope i can describe this right it was like this warmth and this vibration in my heart and I was just overwhelmed with what I believe to be the presence of the Holy Spirit to the point where I kind of got very weak in the knees and I had to sit down because I, uh, and this has never happened to me before or since. I'm not really a charismatic person with my spirituality. Um, so I'm not like necessarily advocating for one particular type of spirituality. I'm just sharing that I guess Our Lady of Consolation, this particular shrine has been significant in my journey. Because she, I've been there a couple of times, and here you go. That's what happened. She brought you some consolation in that moment, this experience of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, looking to Mary as the spouse of the Holy Spirit and one who was filled with the Spirit who conceived Jesus in her womb. You know, I, I think that this is all related and interconnected in some mm-hmm. way beyond our own uh, knowledge and imagining. How about a favorite yes. Marian book? So maybe you've read a book about Mary. Maybe it made a big impact on your life. Any Marian book you could recommend? Yes. I just finished um, A Year with Mary by Paul Thigpen. And okay. so he quotes a lot of um, St. Alphonsus Liguori from, I think it's, is it The Glories of Mary? I would love to read that book particularly because I found myself, it's, so it's a daily devotional is what it is, but it's specifically Marian. And so every day I would find myself, oh, my goodness, I didn't know this about the Blessed Mother, or I would think about it. Just things like, okay, since I'm a mom, I would think about, well, did the Blessed Mother really experience pain at childbirth, or did she not? Because St. Alphonsus Liguori doesn't think she did, and this is why he doesn't. And it was just things that I'd never really thought about or maybe didn't think were significant. And the more I um, learned about her from a theological perspective, the more I realized, I guess, how profound her presence is, her prayers, her impact, her mercy. One of the things that, and actually that's what kind of what inspired me to write these articles that you referenced in the beginning were this, it was a year of Mary, that book. One of the things I also learned 
is I was reading about the wedding feast at Cana and what that meant in terms of the Blessed Mother's role in our life. And something that has really struck me and stuck with me is she expedites the hour of grace. So when Jesus says, woman, my hour has not yet come, he wasn't really going to start his public ministry that day, but he did it because she asked him to, and he can't refuse her. And then the application of that. And so when I was really meditating upon that in terms of what that means for um, the graces that we can ask her and how much more she wants to bestow upon us. So that's, that's obviously been a very uh, powerful uh, meditation that's helped me to pray with more confidence to the Blessed Mother. So not necessarily like, oh, Blessed Mother, give me X, Y, Z, unless it's a particular grace I know that I'm struggling with, or unless it's something that I know maybe a family member is really struggling with, um, maybe despair, or maybe loneliness. And so I feel this desperation, and I, I have this confidence when I come to her, and it's because of that book, A Year with Mary. So that's, I would recommend that. And that would be a daily devotional that someone will look at and really be exposed to a lot of different saints or quotes. And, uh, yeah, it gives a new perspective on Mary, maybe causing us to think about things that we've never thought about. Last question. How about a Marian painting? Any image of Mary that you're very fond of? Yes. I don't know who did it. Um, my mother gave it to me. It's not titled I'm looking at it, actually. It's in my bedroom. So it's this huge framed picture of the Blessed Mother. She's, um, so it's, how do I describe it? So it's like a, a golden glow, and the whole painting is in this golden glow. And all you can see is her face, and um, it's her eyes, I think, that strikes me. Hmm. Because it's almost like there's a knowledge like a, a deep knowledge when I, you know, that's, that's reflected in her eyes. There's a tenderness. There's um, also that sorrow. There's uh, a, a profound love. There's a, it, it's just what I would imagine from my, my spiritual mother, from my, my mother in heaven. So that actually my mother bought, and I can't remember, I think it might have been at the Abbey of Gethsemane years ago. And I, when we had it in our house when I was growing up, I just, I just told her, oh, someday I really want that painting. I really, really want it. And she gave it to Ben and me shortly after we were married and moved into our first home. And it's just, it's just an image that brings me back to that meekness, that beatitude of the softening of the heart, the gift of sensitivity, the, the openness and the vulnerability when I feel like I'm starting to get restless or anxious or um, discouraged. So that's an inspiration to me when I look at that image of her. Well, thanks so much for sharing everything that you've shared today. It's been a, a pleasure, a joy to have you on How They Love Mary, to talk about Our Lady Lent and about your own Marian devotion. So thanks so much. And where can people learn more about your work and what you do? Oh, on my website, jeanieewing.com. Everything is there that they might want to see, my books, my blog, etc. <laughs> Okay, so check out her website. You can learn more about her work, her speaking engagements, her writings, all these things. And so, again, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I'd like to also offer a special thanks to Anna Nuzo for her music, which has accompanied our podcast today. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope and pray that it has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion you can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at Fr Edward Looney, L-O-O-N-E-Y. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.